0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Paramount Podcast. It's great to be back for season two of the Paramount Podcast, and um, got some really exciting things coming up. We've got some really great guests coming on, um, as we had in season one. Um, but one thing we're going to be doing in season two is doing this series that I've um, that I've been working on um, called Questions of Faith. Now, well, earlier on in the year, um, I mean, I've been going on a bit of a spiritual journey um deconstruction reconstruction uh for quite a while but earlier this year i um i literally just wrote down a whole list of questions that i had about faith spirituality um things that i believed for a long time what i believed why i believed it um a whole load of questions about my faith and my spiritual journey that i that i wanted to explore and i figured the best way to explore these questions might be in discussion with other people, um, and not necessarily having answers to those questions, but just discussing them and exploring them and see where those discussions go. Because I know I've got a lot of friends who are on a similar spiritual journey and who are asking probably the same kind of questions. So that's what we're going to be doing in this series with a whole bunch of different people, and um, we're going to be starting today uh, with uh my dear friend charles porter so welcome back to the podcast charles yeah
1: thanks for having me on james it's really good seeing you
0: yeah yeah charles and i um well we we guested on each other's podcast and i met him in person last year in in detroit um we had a really fun time chatting for about four hours and driving around um grace point which is great fun driving past uh what was it was it a catholic um monastery or something oh yeah
1: there's a there's a neighborhood it's just south of my house right next to Gross Point that has an orthodox a Russian Orthodox monastery and it looks like a little plot of Russia in the middle of this uh it, it's kind of a ghetto too so it's in the yeah. middle of this ghetto and it's really interesting to see the monks and stuff walk through the neighborhoods and mm. um, it, it's just peculiar I guess but whatever I mean that's the Orthodox for you
0: yeah yeah it was really fascinating to see that. Uh, that was a nice little drive, I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, so we're going to be talking today about just the basic kind of, and these these will seem like elementary questions, but they're questions we don't really talk about. Um, like, what do we believe? Why do we believe it? And even more, how do we believe? I mean, we may even do a whole episode on how we believe um, I think Charles is going to come back he's going to be doing a few episodes so he may just do how we believe in a whole different episode um, but um, that's the kind of um, journey we're going down today so um, yeah I mean I'll talk about my own kind of perspective in a minute but Charles what what's kind of your take on, on, on those questions?
1: You know I, I really was thinking about because you sent me that list and those ones really some, some of the questions that really stood out to me were, were definitely on the how to believe, how we believe what we believe. Uh, that's a hard question to answer it's, a lot of people, like you said, it seems like really elementary, but it, it's not that simple, especially because, you know, we, we come from that stream where we've deconstructed, reconstructed, mm-hmm. uh, doubted, recovering. I call myself a recovering doubter now. And mm-hmm. uh, not because I'm certain of anything, but just, because I've learned to, to live with the fact that there's just a lot of doubt. So it's really not that simple when you have somebody and, and a couple of people who, mm. who really don't know what they believe, they, they kind of align in certain places, but um, definitely I, I think that it's a lot more difficult to answer those questions or to go down that road than, than people think. It, it's like the magician who has the, the handkerchief in his sleeve,
0: mm. you pull yeah.
1: one thing and then you keep it, it just keeps coming out. That's that's kind of how these questions are yeah. We're going to be talking
0: about it today. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I, I think about what, when I think about the question, what we believe, it's got it's kind of rigged with certainty, isn't it? It's it is it's a little of, bit loaded. It's like yeah, you have to. It's like okay, so this is kind of a formula, like I have to believe in, like a sort of set of rules or values that I have to stick to, um, set of things that are true about the world, you know, that that I subscribe to and once i'm there i can't move but like you know um that, that's why the how we believe is is kind of connected but um it's like it's really interesting question when you actually deconstruct it like there's there's a whole load of different places you can go with it you know um i suspect a lot of like about t- if you asked me like 10 15 years ago what i believed, i would have been able to trot that out really easily um you know like uh, i believe in you know jesus and Jesus died and rose again and and the resurrection and forgiveness and uh you know the basic tenets of christ of the christian religion as it were um but now like it's completely different you know because almost i don't want to wed myself to something that's so that's embedded in certainty you know yeah
1: there's there's a hesitation uh even for me there's a, a even though i'm the recovering doubter I. I have a lot of hesitation when people ask me what I believe. And it's, I think that Peter Rollins has that famous line. He's like, people always ask me, what do you believe? And, oh, uh, you're an atheist or something like that. And he's like, no, the, the problem is I don't even know what I believe. Yeah. And there's a space you can operate in. Because I, I think about 10 years ago, I mean, I was considered like a fundamental Pentecostal. Mm. Not even close to that anymore. So it's just the natural progression of how people believe different things some people will start off really liberal in their theology and become very conservative and vice versa and then there's always those people in between you're not growing if you're not exploring different avenues of of your faith or even different faiths faiths other than christianity so
0: yeah i mean i wrote a a blog post for um a site that i write blog posts for um called the way station which is a it's Waystation is a Facebook group of people who are asking them these kind of questions. People who've done atheism for Lent and that kind of thing. I think Pete Rollins is actually in the group as well. Um and they have a blog and I write for the blog and I wrote this 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 piece called Evolving Spirituality. And um because I think that's what's happened with me. My my whole journey is what you know is is evolving. It's like an evolutionary process. Um in a sense what I'm believing is evolving you know um but at the same time i kind of find myself having these having core values you know like core values of like inclusion and social justice and love and forgiveness and um um, non-discrimination and non-violence and um those kind of things um and equality and you know all that you know these are like core values that that i have um and they kind of don't change but they're very broad values they're not like they're not kind of legalistic values if in a sense because there's not a set of rules tied to them um, but they right. do there's
1: a, there's a bit of virtue involved in them yeah. so it's something that no matter what faith or context you can plug something in and it would still operate in You know, even if you switch out Jesus for some other I don't know world religion you would still have those core values because deep inside it's who you are. So yeah. whether the the name on it is the same or not, it's still going to be deeply rooted inside of of you and myself. I'm the same way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I yeah. Um, the interesting thing is where do those things come from? You know, where where do they? Rob Bell always asks this question: like, why do you believe that? Where does that, where did where did that come from? You know, um, that came from somewhere. You know um this kind of we all know slavery is wrong we all know that uh, racism is wrong or most people do anyway um not everyone in america apparently yeah tell um, me about it <laughs> but most normal people <laughs> i say, most like you know most people know that racism is wrong um you know we kind of feel we do, it's and it's not something we have to be told in a sense we just kind of feel it in our bones that it's just wrong you know this, this you know i mean i kind of it's an interesting experience i have with lgbt inclusion um because my because like 15 years ago my beliefs about it were kind of like well the bible kind of kind of says this um i'm not comfortable but i was never comfortable with it um i never kind of felt like um people not being able to be married because of their sexuality or a certain kind of sexual attraction being somehow wrong that didn't feel right to me um I was kind of like, and I wasn't questioning my faith then, so I didn't, I didn't question it. But it, I never felt comfortable with it. Um So even then, it was like there was something in me that didn't feel that that was right. You know, that you know the LGBT, um, like uh, the non-affirming position was. I knew the, I knew the non-affirming position wasn't right before I actually kind of was aware of it in a sense. Do you understand right, it's a
1: thing that's that's deep down. Actually, I had a similar thing. Uh, one of my best friends growing up in high school, he he came out as gay, and and so that was something that pre doubt and everything that um, I would never have told anyone. But I was affirming, and this is actually me saying that is the first time I've openly said that that I yeah I'm, I'm gay affirming. I think that they sh- should be able to participate in uh, in the Christian service, in, in the ministry, and things like that. Yeah. But. um I remember when he came out and the moment that, that switched it off for me is we were we were sitting there, we were playing music together and he stopped playing the piano. He slammed the uh, the piano shut and he's like, guys, I have a confession. He was sweating and he was, he was the pastor's son actually. So uh, there was a lot on the line and he didn't know how it was going to be received. And he said, guys, I'm gay. And he just said it. And I remember my brother looking at him and being like, no, you're not. And then just keep playing because he couldn't accept it. And I was like, no, nah, he's gay. Like I, I definitely had my hunch, but now that he said it, he's gay. And now I have a responsibility to do something with that. And I think that deep down, because you, you have these core convictions and things like that, that when you're confronted with the potential mm-hmm. problem that you're facing, that's when you actually have to deal with it. Yeah. So wh- when he came out, it was like, oh, well, I, I have to deal with this now. I can't deal with it later. I can't, do anything. So when people were upset here in America about marriage equality, you know, our youth pastor was really pissed. And mm. <clears throat> I remember him going all over all of the social media being very angry. And all I kept thinking about is, well, you know, back when you were a youth pastor, you had kids in your youth group who were gay and you never even took the time to understand them. And now mm. you're actually directly insulting them without maybe your knowledge or with your knowledge and um, you know I I think that was those two moments were the defining moments of of change or um, shift in belief it happens you have to be confronted with it and once you're confronted with it
0: yeah then you have to you have to kind of make a decision in a sense you have to kind of say right yeah you have to kind of start wrestling with it I mean I did a I did a there's a course about LGBT inclusion for Christians, uh, which people, some people in our church did. Um, and one of the couples that did it, um, said that they were non-affirming. And then their son told them he was gay. And suddenly, like, everything changed for them. They started to explore it. They started to learn more about the theology of it. They started to pray and reflect on it more. And, and, so, and they changed their position. You know, they, they've become affirming, basically. You know, um, um Because because they had somebody in their life who was gay, and they were forced to confront it and actually think about it, Um, and that changed everything for them. I think I think Rob Bell says whenever you put flesh and blood on something, it changes everything. Um, Yeah, that's
1: good. That's that's real good.
0: um, Because it just makes it real, you know. And suddenly it's not just a theory anymore; it's actually really happening. Um, Right. um, we've, We've had this. We've been struggling with. I mean. Our, an issue has come up in our church recently, where this issue has been has been raised. You know, it had never been talked about in our church before. Um, and we had a, we've got a gay couple in our church who are married, um, and things happened. Uh, they ended up up in leadership, and um, yeah, there was a situation. I'm not going to talk about it in great detail, but um, the result of that, I was not happy with. Um, and I'm still not happy with you know but I believe in inclusive church which means that we all disagree on things and, and uh, that we still love each other so that's kind of but it's, it's given me pause to think about you know um, about church and about where I see myself in church and um, how I, the, kind of, the kind of person I want to be you know um, because um, I have my convictions and other people in the church have theirs and the leadership have theirs and um many of us disagree and we all have different perspectives so it's 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 a very difficult thing because i I believe inclusive church means that we can we can all we should all be in community as much as we can even when we disagree on things even when we disagree on theology you know because otherwise all you do is you get a new group just breaking off and forming a new church all the time and you get endless numbers of denominations just kind of because people can't be can't coexist with each other you
1: know the Um, constant fracturing because when somebody can't come to an agreement I don't want to say compromise because some of these things I don't think need compromise they just need to be accepted Um, you know you hurt people and some people walk away altogether I actually really like what what Raj said when you uh, put flesh and blood on something it's no longer a theory because we can say the same thing for God and, and the person of Jesus. Mm. So you, you, yeah. it's no longer this abstract and, well, I think God would like this and I think God would like that. No, we, we have an example of Christ now through the, you know, from reading the gospels, we can see an account of what it looks like for God to walk amongst people. Yeah. So if that's the case, then what are we doing? You know, it, it really. It, it really makes me question so like here here in the u.s and it's like <laughs> it's really heartbreaking yeah and the world's watching us and it's probably breaking their hearts and also probably yeah a little bit of tongue-in-cheek laughing because it's like well you finally fell on your face so because socially the the church in, in the united states is is very conservative for the most part yeah um, except for a lot of, you know, Methodists, things like that. The Methodists tend to be more inclusive. But it's it's ultra-conservative, and, and it always, it has this Old Testament picture of God, as if if that was the full picture. Hmm. And it's a very imperial empire standard of Christ. Yeah. Seeking to marginalize a lot of people. And it's hard to say that being uh, an American Christian who loves many people who are in that kind of category and regularly communes with them. I don't necessarily go to church with them, but I, I do see them, talk to them, eat family meals with them. And it's, it's hard to, to see how those kinds of views take place, how the discrepancy between a flesh and blood Jesus in this theoretical Jesus, what would Jesus do mindset of as if it's a mystery and not a standard. Mm. So I know that that's where I'm at with my beliefs right now. Is is How how Christ-like is Christ-like enough? And where should we go from there? And it it definitely reads into those ideas of LGBTQ inclusion. It leads to different things on um, socioeconomic status. I live in I live in St. Clair Shores, Michigan, which is just outside of Detroit. It's a couple miles outside of Detroit, uh, right next to your girls' point that you love. and um, <laughs> yeah. You know, even even socioeconomic inclusion, there's uh, racial division. Eight Mile is uh, 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 the famous one from the Eminem movie, is not too far off from what it's really like. It's, it's actually a, a dividing line in most counties here in Michigan, in Southeast Michigan, of uh, racial diversity. It's actually one of the most segregated um, sections in the whole country. If you live north of 8 Mile, typically you're gonna be white. If you live south of 8 Mile, you're typically gonna be a person of color. Um, In my area, it's even more complicated because if you live north of 8 Mile, you live in St. Clair Shores, Michigan, which is a middle-class suburb. If you live south of 8 Mile, then you live in Gross Point, which is, you know, million-dollar mansions on the waterfront. And then east, a little bit southwest of, of 8 Mile here, and you're in um, a very low-class, lower-middle-class, probably upper-low-class socioeconomic pole in Harper Woods, Michigan. And the churches don't get along. They don't talk to each other. And there's no personhood of Christ because they don't look exactly like me. And when you've whitewashed people like Jesus, when you've whitewashed um, your church or when you've, um, I don't know what the term is for if you straight wash or whatever your church or um, it's, it's, something, it's something to be said, is, is when you put something in flesh and blood like Jesus and you actually try to follow this flesh and blood Jesus, It completely turns your world upside down. I mean, Shane Claiborne is a perfect example of somebody who's like that. He tries to be like Jesus as much as possible and it completely changes his life. It completely shows in the way he operates and it's something to be admired.
0: Yeah, he's definitely one of the people I see who embodies Jesus more than a lot of people. Um, um, Yeah, you know, when you see what he's doing to fight the death penalty and you know um protesting the death penalty and going to prison for it and um you know and just not being afraid to speak up um on the things which matter and how he lives just how he lives um everything's about jesus everything's pointing to jesus everything is um it's never about him and um it's, yeah, it is really... Um, I, I got to interview him earlier this year. He's just um, really, really inspiring and um, humbling as well.
1: Yeah, yeah you know, after, after um, the podcast ended, I was kind of thinking back on some of the people that I got to interview, and I realized that the conversation I had with Shane changed me more than any other conversation I've had in my probably my entire life. There's just something about... I think it might have been the Southern Draw... But the, the southern accent mixed with the the sheer sure conviction that people have a mandate to be loved—it just it, it changed my belief on not just the death penalty. I think that's an easy one, but it changed my belief on that people are worth the money that you spend. People are worth the the time that you put in and the physical effort to go and be with them. And it's it changes. It it, it changes how you believe things when you encounter. It. The real Jesus, not the Jesus from the pulpit, but the Jesus in the gutter. Yeah. and I think that that's, that's the difference.
0: Hmm. I agree. yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, there's not much I can say about that in, in response to that because I agree so much with that. Um, so what's something
1: controversial that you that you believe? I'll say something after after you say it, but something I, I have one that i been kind of holding like on to. Really, Maybe you can talk me down.
0: Well, I don't say it to be controversial. <laughs> um, that's not my intention. Um, but I think, if I'm really honest, um, I kind of. Well, I I don't believe I don't I don't believe in like atonement theory. i I don't know i'm not a theologian so i don't know much about like the whole all the different types of atonement theory but the basic idea that that um yeah that jesus kind of died to take punishment that we we deserved you know that um that we all deserve a violent death and torture and eternal torture and jesus somehow and god did it to jesus instead um oh yeah penal uh,
1: substitutionary
0: yeah i I I find that very difficult now. Um,
1: what, what's what's the most difficult part about it?
0: Because from well, see the thing for me, it kind of says, well, violence solves the problem, you know, because um, Jesus talks about being the Prince of Peace and practices non-violence through his life, basically, um, you know, and doesn't resist when he's executed, doesn't fight back, doesn't answer violence with violence, and yet where people are arguing that violence is like the answer to what we've done that violence solves everything um it's basically i mean if you believe in a substitutionary atonement you might as well believe in the death penalty you know because that because it's like it's like saying well death is punishment is violent violent punishment is the answer to every problem so you know if someone's murdered someone just kill them you know because that solves the problem well actually we know that doesn't solve the problem um, at all, and sometimes you end up killing the wrong person as well. Um, but we're not here to talk about the death penalty. We don't have it. We don't have the death penalty here, so um, you know.
1: That was going to be a question: is is what's the death penalty here? Because you got the death belt here, in the United States. It's the Bible belt, but it's the death belt, and all the all the states that have the death penalty for the most part. I think California has it, which is surprising. California would have it because it's one of the more um, liberal states in in the united states but they have the death penalty and it's I, I think there's something to that uh, how so with the climate in the uk do mm. a lot of people buy into penal substitutionary is that the standard in the uk yeah
0: they, a lot of people do a lot of people do it's like jesus took the punishment for our sins and it's it's and it's the thing is it's not always overtly expressed sometimes it is sometimes it isn't and a lot of it's expressed through worship songs we talk about you know where it's passively aggressively just ingrained into your mind that this is this is why i find it hard to sing any worship songs now because it's all because so many people get theology get their theology through their worship songs you know i dated a, a a minister last year and she told me this like and i was like i had no idea until she told me and i was like yeah that's right that's absolutely right you know that people get we get so much of our theology through our through our through songs you know and like without even questioning it and 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 people i don't think people realize that if i support the the fact the idea of atonement then i must then i support the death penalty but that's basically what it is it's like saying that violence solves the problem so if there's a big problem and someone's done something really bad then we should be violent to them because that will solve the problem so you're basically—it's so in that sense you take it to the extreme. You're arguing for let's find nuclear weapons on on North Korea because they're they're a threat to us. You know, like it—you know, whatever. It's just um, that's where you go. So that's that kind of takes you towards Donald Trump territory. <laughs> you know, so well he said his
1: favorite his favorite verse in the whole Bible when somebody asked him. Uh, I don't even remember the verse myself, but I know he couldn't say a verse. He said, my favorite verse is eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which goes to show that he clearly has not read the Gospels because Jesus says, like, I, you heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth mm-hmm. for a tooth, but I tell you, yeah. if somebody strikes you, then turn the other cheek. Yeah, And it, it just goes to show, like, this vengeful God of the Old Testament that we give a bad name to. It's not the... That's not the character of God, even in the Old Testament, but mm. we think it is. I know in the United States because you know most of the people who came over were uh, Reformed, they were Puritans, things like that, and, mm. and so that's deeply ingrained. That, you know, Presbyterians, not the, not PCUSA. But, like, Reformed Presbyterian traditionalists, that's that's a lot of people in the United States. Mm. Then you have the evangelicals who kind of have offshooted from mainline Protestantism, but they've yeah. taken a lot of that Reformed theology with them. And so that's the justification oftentimes, even in here in the United States, for the death penalty is penal substitutionary atonement. Mm. Meaning, you killed me, now I have the right to equally forcefully take you, except I'm going to put you on death row for 10 years.
0: Hmm.
1: Not knowing, and the mental torture before your death of, I'm going Hmm. to make you wonder each and every day if I'm going to kill you. And then one day it comes. And that somehow makes it okay. And so you have this vengeful God, this vengeful, uh, which, oh my gosh, have you ever heard of the band System of a Down? Do you remember them from way back in the oh, early
0: 2000s? I remember, I've, heard, I've heard that name, yeah. I think I know it's, what you're talking about.
1: They they had yeah. a song called Chop Suey, and I, I actually thought about this a lot during my deconstruction because he said um, they blatantly went after Penal Substitutionary Atonement, and I did not realize it until, you know, I'm 29 now. I, I didn't hear that when I was in high school. But they said, um, trust in my self-righteous suicide, I cry when angels deserve to die. And so, and it's talking directly to the religious order of saying, You what you want me to do is you want me to believe in this God who kills himself because he can't get over it. So somehow that suicide of God, because Jesus is God. Jesus is if Jesus, yeah. if Jesus is divine and God crushes himself, that means he kills himself to get over himself, which shows a really eddy God. So I'm I'm totally with you on that one. I can't I cannot get behind penal substitutionary atonement for the implications of the death penalty, for the implications of it. Just really does not make sense. Mm. And if if God is if Jesus is divine and he's this part of the Trinity, then that means the Trinity is killing the Trinity to get over the Trinity.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just m- messed up. Um, there's a couple of things I'd I, I want to say. Um, I was re-watching a Rob Bell live video talking about his What is the Bible book, which, by the way everyone, a lot of this stuff is in there as well, there's more on all these topics, unbelievable. Um, but he said, any idea of a divine being who kills his son, I reject wholeheartedly. That's a sick God and a sick story. Um, and I put that up on Instagram and um, got a bit of, got a mixed response from people. But it was, I, I believe that completely because, you know, but we don't ever question it. And, um, and the alternative, here's the alternative when we're talking about the death penalty. Um, Shane Claypool told me a story about a guy who committed murder, um, got away with it, but felt so ashamed and guilty for what he'd done that he turned himself in and um, got sentenced to the death penalty. Um, he wanted to kill himself because he felt so ashamed. He um, tried to kill himself several times, um, wasn't successful. Um, and the parents of the person that he had murdered um, were Christians. And um, they came and visited him um, and told him that um, they hated what he'd done to their, their child, who was an adult when he'd murdered him, I think. But he hated what he'd done to their, I think it was a son, um, um, but that they forgave him um, and then they met up with him quite often they visited him quite often Um they prayed with him and they talked to him and they, they led him to Jesus and in the end they kind of led they helped him get out of prison and um, and now he's a pastor this guy that committed this murder like, and he's going around sharing his testimony and saying that no one is beyond redemption you know there's hope for everyone you know see that is what i believe about about um the cross and the resurrection is that the the death the violence doesn't have the last word you know Mm, um to me that's the point of the point of the cross and the resurrection is that the is that violence doesn't get the last word like the point of the cross for me is jesus takes everything that violence can do to you and still comes out of it, you know. Um, He's still at the end of it. Three days later, he's alive. You know, it's like, you don't, what else can you do to me? You can't do anything else to me, you know. Uh, and I've still got, I've got scars from what you did to me, but I'm still here, you know. Um, and that's a meta. I mean, that's a huge metaphor for so many things, you know. Um, it's a metaphor for how we deal with suffering. It's a metaphor for how we deal with like internal conflict. It's a meta- and, it, and it's also about. Who Jesus is about, you know, um, that we're not alone, whatever we go through, and that there's there's always, there's always hope and there's always new life, and that that doesn't that is contrary to this idea that that God is less grumpy because of Jesus, as Rob Bell once said, you know, um, <laughs> like which just does it seems a bit childish in comparison and just not a narrow-minded in a way. Um, maybe that sounds arrogant, you know, but.
1: Uh, no i, I actually yeah. think that that's it makes god sound like a bigot it, it really does penal substitutionary to me sound makes god sound like a bigot he's telling everyone one thing and then goes and does another turn the other cheek turn the other cheek but then violence is somehow used like,
0: yeah yeah
1: it, it just doesn't make sense to me it, it
0: yeah it's not consistent with with who jesus is and what he talks about
1: right and it's not the only atonement theory it's it's there's so many others and i think what you see a lot of times with that is an over emphasis of augustine who wouldn't have even taken it as far as calvin took it but you have it, it really comes from just people being obsessed with augustine and his influence and his master his mastery of rhetoric to take it to the next level, where it has to become legal and Calvin. And I, I don't even—it's not that I don't like John Calvin. Um, doesn't bother me. My my brother's a Calvinist. I don't I don't really mind Calvinists. I don't believe the same as them. i them. I think that their zeal for for biblical scholarship is unparalleled. I think in, in most most uh, circles, and their passion for the gospel is. Uh, well, I can see why they have a passion for the gospel because they don't want people to be smited by God. So they tell everybody that they know. So It creates these, but it kind of creates some unhealthy conditions in, in the way. And, I, you know, I was at that monastery, actually, that we talked about, that we passed up. Um, my mm-hmm. friends go there for church.
0: Right.
1: That's that's where they go. And we, we go every once in a while just to support, you know, baptisms, things like that. Uh, Chrismations, we'll go for that. And we eat, and every time they talk with the the priest, and somebody asked a specific question about Augustine, and he said that the the thing is that people put when somebody puts too much of an emphasis on one saint's opinion, and not take the whole context of the saints and in the church, then what you do is you you deify the saint, and you forget the Christ who they were trying to love and serve.
0: Mm.
1: And so that that's what happens a lot of times is it's the people who have an idea and then it's the, the lady who latches onto that idea and just makes it this fundamental standard, but that's not always the case. There's, there's a lot of scholarship in, involved and yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I don't like, I don't like the idea of a vengeful God. I don't, I don't believe it. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it helps Christianity.
0: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that doesn't, God doesn't get angry, you know I mean? You know, people, I think there's some, some opponents of my perspective would say, oh, that makes God a kind of ambi pamby hippie who doesn't, you know, who doesn't get angry about anything and doesn't care about anything, which is not at all what it, what it does. Um, um, because you see, he just get angry in the temple, you know, and, you know, but he does. He's not violent towards anybody. He's not. He doesn't attack people. He just like, he's just saying this is not how you should be doing things. or right? You know, I want. I'm going to get rid of all this stuff. This stuff you're doing. Like, right? but he doesn't. He's not violent towards anybody. You know.
1: No, um, the violence goes towards the system, not no, the system that's oppressing and bastardizing things. It's it's not the people who are doing it. God goes after the system, because all systems are created by your by the way you think. And, and the way you think drives your actions. So if God can renew your mind, the system will change. Yeah, and I think that's what you're seeing here in both UK and in the United States. Is you see this counter movement of of people trying to make a change, uh, tackling the long held establishment and trying to make the change. Sure, the the traditional establishment has the power, and it seems like both of our countries, but the counter group is saying there's more of us than you, you just have the privilege to take it. So now we're going to counter this and we're going to change your thinking and challenge your thinking and that going into action is changing things and I think that God is the, the catalyst of that. I think that the heart of Christ is in the heart of those people who want to see systems of oppression torn down.
0: Yeah, that's right, I agree. Um, this brings me to my other controversial belief um, because I for a long time, I you know I've been reading a lot of Richard Raw about you know non dual thinking, uh, reading a lot of about spiral dynamics and all of that kind of thing, and t- trying to change my perspective from a a non binary um, non dual kind of be- way of believing to a basically to a to a non dual uh, non binary thing. Um, did I just say I wanted to change from a non binary? anyway from a to a
1: <laughs> i wanted
0: to change from a binary to a non-binary um, yeah. from a dual to a non-dual yeah. way of thinking and um i was with my spiritual director um and talking about frustrations that i was feeling in regards to british politics um american politics um and uh, but also a lot of liberal christians that i'd a friend who are fr- good friends of mine you know um, and this kind of brings us to the how we believe thing really but um, um, but we'll do that and maybe do that in another episode in full but i don't know um we'll see <laughs> um but it but it was but i but i but i was like yeah i kind of agree with you more but how you believe this is is the same as them so you are exactly the same as them, except you have you are the more politically correct version. Like or whatever whatever <laughs> the terminology is. It's like and and I realised that I've been one of these people. Um and actually it was one of our a mutual friend of ours who um um who pointed this out to me. Um a couple of weeks before Donald <laughs> Trump got elected. And and then that, that's when that's when it shifted and it was like and a friend of mine, another friend of mine, who's a pastor, who's friends with, with Rob um, Bell, um, told me that he got texts from him after Trump was elected about how frustrated he was with the reaction of some liberal, progressive, Christian leaders, um, because um, the way we ha- because now the way I believe now is that we have to hear everyone's stories and everyone's perspectives. So you can't just say if someone supports Trump they're automatically racist. You can't just make generalized statements about people who support Donald Trump, for example. Um and put them all in the same box. Because they all have different stories, they all have different perspectives. They all have their own reasons why they supported him. Um and when I actually I've got I've actually got some friends on Facebook who supported him and I made a point of asking them why because I wanted to know because i was inside i was like how could you ever support this guy like you know all that anger, that righteous anger in a sense of like how can you support a guy like this um but um i wanted to hear their stories and their stories actually were very different you know and it was more i don't like him don't like him don't like all the stuff that he said but at least he's listening to me you know at least he's listening to my knees and there's this like liberal group um who've just ignored me and just don't care what I think and don't care about my needs, they're just forcing their agenda on me. So at least he's listening to me, you know. And That's
1: exactly what my brother said. And my my entire family voted for Trump. Except for me and my wife. Yeah. And that's exactly what my brother said is he said, I wanted to like somebody other than Trump. But the, the the mistake that Clinton made for him was he said I felt like Clinton was always coming after me, and 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 insulting me, and didn't care about me, and mm. I felt like Trump at least heard me and my frustration. Now he regrets it, um, <laughs> but yeah. you know it, yeah. that that's valid. It's, there's people who wanted to feel heard and sometimes they're left, and myself I, I'm more left. And I have a problem, and I have a hard time with that too. is not hearing, sometimes not wanting to hear the opinion of somebody who, um, yeah, is on the other end of the political spectrum.
0: I mean, I'm struggling with that now with after his latest comments, you know, the Nazi <laughs> racist condoning comments. I mean, that, that was almost kind of as far as I could go in terms of I didn't, after that, I didn't really want to understand because I couldn't, even if people told me. This is why I still support him I wouldn't be able to I just wouldn't be able to go there in my mind because I just those things are kind of almost like at the absolute limit of my like non-negotiable kind of there's no reason for anyone to support him when he said this stuff because of you just look at because these beliefs are so archaic and so immoral you know they kind of basically they kind of go against my core values you know this isn't just a question of personal opinion it's more about basic Human, like decent values, like, and he's kind of crossing those crossing those boundaries, and now it's so it's very that's that's been very difficult for me actually because I, you know, because I've I've been I because I got really angry when I heard those comments, you know, and I was I shared a lot of the anger that a lot of other people had, um, but I, I I didn't but I had this conflict because I I want to hear people's stories and I don't just want to mass generalize people who um, believe differently to me and. Um, because we all have our own stories and perspectives and reasons that we believe certain things. I mean, some people are just bad people. You know, some people are just bad people. But other people are either misguided or they just have their own stories. And, you know, we need to hear them, even if we don't agree with them. Um, and, you know, it's... And then, and then take a stand against injustice. You know, you know, if it's wrong, take a stand against it, absolutely. But, um... That's, I mean, that's the whole thing of loving our enemies, you know, it's, it's not loving the enemies that we can cope with, it's loving the enemies that we can't cope with, so it's not just loving, like, someone who robbed your house, it's loving somebody who abused your children, it's loving somebody who, you know, and, and like most, and, and you know what, I'm an uncle now, and if somebody abused my nephew, I wouldn't want to love them, (laughs) I want to do something completely different, um, the complete opposite, in fact, um, but that's, that's the scandal of the Gospel, you know, is that God loves everybody. Um, and of course there has to be accountability for actions, there has to be people take responsibility for that, um, but that doesn't mean you don't love them, you know, um, or that God doesn't love them, you know, but there, um, there are consequences to, to actions. but. Yeah, see, this is all really kind of... So that's quite a complex thing, and I'm, you know, trying to... I often feel like I'm treading on eggshells talking about my beliefs, um, especially in terms of how I believe. Um, Would
1: it be okay if I tossed out uh, something that's controversial that'll help? Yeah. Okay, so... um, Not... Oh, gosh, what am I doing? Okay, so... um, There was recently the transgender ban in the military. Yep. And one of the controversial beliefs is that it's not... I don't agree with the ban, but I do think that you should have your... You should have had your gender reassignment surgery prior to enlistment. And that is not a favorable opinion. Right. Um... And maybe that's the capitalist in me that's coming out. Um, Cause I don't, as an American public, I don't want to have to I, I'm, and I'm for trans people. Go and find if you, if you feel the need to go and do this, if that's your true self, go get the gender reassignment surgery. However, please don't do it on my taxpayer dollars. Please don't do it. And that's that See, I'm trying to be transparent. It's it's hard. to write. It's hard. to want to walk in H.L.'s. That's what's hard for me right now. Is um, it's not, and it it might, it might be a spiritual thing too. But that's that's where I'm at with that. That's controversial right now. And um, you know, my conservative friends would be like, absolutely. But my my more liberal leaning friends say that that's wrong and. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but that's that's something I'm, I'm on about that. So um,
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, we all have, I mean, I don't have a, an opinion. I haven't, it's not an issue over here. Um, you know, um, that kind of thing um, doesn't come up. Um, and I think we're probably a bit more of a, liberal culture over here in in some ways in some ways we're not but in some ways we are um but but yeah i mean we all have i think we see the thing is we all have our own reasons for believing what we believe and that that's and they come from our they come from a combination of experiences circumstances background upbringing um things that we've read things that we've learned you know um and just who we are and in a sense like that's that's okay in a sense as long as as long as we have integrity about that you know um and i think oh i mean i wouldn't i'm not i'm not sitting here justifying um and, and justify racism and and prejudice and and all those kind of things and saying that they're right because I don't think there's <clears> any... To me, there's no excuse for believing that those things are right at all. Right. Um, um, and no story or anything which can which supports those as being morally right. Um, but, the, you know, but people believe those things and maybe... and And that's probably a result of their background and the culture that they've grown up in and what they've been told. You know, this is why we have to keep questioning what we believe because if we just blindly believe what we're brought up to believe and what we're told then you know we get stuck in stuck in the past we get stuck in you know these people probably could, could probably don't understand the whole idea of racism being wrong they're probably not bad people but they just don't understand the whole idea of they've been brought up with the idea that racism is okay and this is how things are you know? no, I, I, and that doesn't I, I... justify it but it just it, it doesn't justify it at all it, I absolutely agree. Um, but that's how they've been brought up. And what we have to do is change is change the culture. this is, this is going to be the next episode. I think now this is a good cutoff point in a sense, because this goes into how we believe. Um, and I think that's a really huge question that we need to talk about, but sorry, you were going to say something.
1: No, I, I was going to say, I think that that's absolutely the way it is. I, I, I grew up with a more affluent family and, and a capitalistic culture. Um, you know, it's you don't like to pay for other people, which is weird because I give money away like whatever. It's just personally because it's the I think it's the decision for me to give it away rather than the mandate. Um, and I think that that's why I'm, I think that's why I'm where I'm at with the transgender thing. I haven't moved on from that deeply ingrained American idea of of money versus or responsibility versus generosity. And I think that that, that's why I'm wrestling with that one in particular. And I don't think that that necessarily says anything about my heart being bad as much as, just as much as I don't think that the people who are misinformed racists or misinformed about anything, ignorant to anything, it's not that those people are bad or that I'm bad. It's just we haven't had, we haven't been confronted with a need yet that's changed those beliefs. So like if I, if I was to meet somebody who is transgender in the military, which I'm fine with their service, like I said, I just think that the surgery should be prior to enlistment, then, you know, um, I think that I would change. And that, that's, that's the, the function of what we believe in changing, is, is like, I, it's full circle. We, you know, we have to be confronted with it first. And once we're confronted with a story, like you want to hear everyone's story, once you're confronted with a real life, flesh and blood story, that's when to change things. And if I can have that opportunity, I probably would change my position. It probably wouldn't be this bashful, Mm. walking on eggshells topic for me at the moment. So, yeah. um, and I do apologize to anyone if that offends when they hear. Um, I'm open to those conversations and so just give me grace in that area. I, guess. I
0: think that's the thing you're open to the conversation you see that's I think that's the really that's a really really important thing you know in terms of what we believe and how we believe you know because what we believe is going to change and evolve and like, what I believe now is different to what I believed even eight months ago what I believed then was different to what I believed five ten years ago you know it's it just like you know I think Rob Rob's mentioned this a few times like like he doesn't understand how people could just because he's a pastor, he was a pastor, didn't expect him to grow. It's like, it's he. I think he kind of felt that there were some people in Mars Hill where he was a pastor, uh, the church he started, um, who thought that, right, okay, this is what we believe and then he doesn't grow anymore. Like, he's the pastor, this is what he believes and that's it. But um, it was never like that for him. It was always about growing and learning and moving forward um, and a spiritual journey. And... And that that kind of took him beyond yeah he, he outgrew his church in a sense um, and but that's that's I think an example for us all right? we should all be all be open to learning and growing and understanding and hearing other stories and um, changing like what we believe and changing our perspective and um, I think that's a good end to kind of the, the whole kind of question of what we believe because in a sense what we believe it is important it is important um but um it leads us to a bigger to me it leads us to a bigger question which is how we believe um and that's what we'll be doing in the next episode (laughs) so um thanks for um thanks for uh being here today uh charles it's been so good talking about this stuff with you Um,
1: okay it's good
0: catching up and um we're gonna go off and just record the next episode almost straight away but you're gonna have to wait a week for it so um (laughs) um, so um thanks everyone for listening uh take care and um chat to you soon